Put your paws up, listeners, because you were born this way. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week we will be discussing Lady Gaga's 2011 album, Born This Way. It was selected by you all in our poll this month. And yeah, what an album do we pick to discuss? This is definitely one of the more beloved albums, I would say, of the 21st century. And our second endeavor into Lady Gaga. Yeah, uh, we give you guys, like I said before, we give you guys the tough choices that we don't want to make. Yep. And you guys always come through with good choices. This was an awesome pick. And you had your work cut out for you with those four. This is a good one. Yes, yes. And a lot to discuss with this one. But uh, And with that being said, I'm kind of just ready to um, get into it. Because, yeah, this is something we were both around for when this came out, 2011. Yeah. Uh, so um, background. So unless you were living under a rock, you knew who Lady Gaga was by that point. She was pretty inescapable throughout 2009 and 2010. Uh, she was the dominant pop star of that time. Everybody knew her. Everybody talked about her. And that year at the VMAs in 2010, she made headlines for wearing a dress made of raw meat. And while accepting her award, she announced that her next album and single would be called born this way and sang a bit of the title track and a bit of that was overshadowed by the meat dress of course but it was okay she's going to be following up an insanely successful debut era with the fame and then the continuation ep the fame monster seven hits in a row and it was automatically a highly anticipated project just because of that that's so crazy i was just about to ask you if you thought this was where she started to get away from the meat dress stuff but she announced this in the meat dress <laughs> um, so she was still a polarizing avant-garde artist in my eyes back then she was super avant-garde like she was in your face for a purpose yeah and that and purpose was to shock you you know in my opinion uh yes it definitely that was the purpose and she succeeded at it um and uh she wasn't done yet as we would learn um but so at this point in time i disclosed before that when i first heard of her i was not a fan of lady gaga i wasn't here for that just in your face trying to shock me it's like you're saying this is high art i know you're just trying to shock me i yeah. just thought it was a bunch of bull i have to agree with you i i had it's not that i had a problem with her but i just i respected the avant-gardeness of what she was doing for what it was worth but I don't really respond well, or I didn't respond well to her as it was felt more crammed down your throat and like thought out, you know, it didn't feel like it just didn't feel natural to me. So I wasn't a big fan of hers in the get. Now, fast forward to now, not because of listening to this, but because of what she's done throughout her career as an artist, I have a huge respect for her in so many different ways. You know, I don't know if our listeners know, but I have a a super soft spot in my heart for what she did with Tony Bennett. And for me, that's when her and I really became good friends <laughs> uh, is, is the Tony Bennett stuff. Yeah. And um, it was fine for me. I actually really hated it a lot. And uh, my, I look at my Facebook memories. It didn't at times looks like a Lady Gaga hate account <laughs> because uh, that was what I was doing at that point in time. But um, so uh, I was like, oh, oh, she's going to be back for more. Oh, fuck. It was my initial reaction. But a lot of people were looking forward to it. A lot of my classmates and I was going to hear about it either way, because it was the new Lady Gaga release. And uh, 
we'll talk more about the individual songs when we get to them because the lead single is its own bag of worms <laughs> that we're we'll get into it but um anyway yeah there was a pretty high build up to the album with a lead single and a promotional singles too it was a big deal it was definitely being hyped up and in its first week the album was being sold um to start off you could buy it for 99 cents on amazon <laughs> And um, I, I feel that's important to note because that did obviously drive sales up a bit because this album did debut in May of 2011 with over a million units sold first week. I didn't see that. That's a wild take. 99 cents, huh? Yeah, but enough people wanted to buy it. I think Amazon might have crashed. So there you go. There, That's something. Um, But I remember there was news at the time saying like, oh, it was the biggest sales drop from first to second week ever and i was like oh good she's going down because i wasn't a fan Heard. but then that record was broken the next year by madonna and i was like oh but i like madonna fuck but <laughs> do you think it had a lot to do with that price point or do you think everybody who was gonna buy it bought it already i think it was a bit of both yeah but it still it did it was still number one for the second week. This was still a big deal. What I think is pretty interesting is about this album. What I was thinking of was it's like in any at a different point in time, this automatically would have been the pop album of the year. Heard. But Katy Perry was deep into the teenage dream era and making hit after hit. And she was on that level and then Adele broke through really big this year and no one else stood a chance against that because she was an alternative to the Gaga's and Kesha's and Katie's of the world and an attractive one and she outdid them all it's like if it weren't for Adele this might have just been it you know but it wasn't but it was still big but I definitely remember her presence didn't seem as all-consuming to the general public at least during this era as it was in the previous one yeah, that's where my question was coming from. In my mind, at this point, she had lost a little bit of that shock value. It's interesting the way you put it, because she was that contrast to Perry and that, I'll use the word teeny bop movement, you know, it, that very teen mindset of the pop music that was going on. Like I said, at this point, she really started to be a little bit normal in my eyes. Then again, I, I, I'm terrible with years and timelines, but when I listened to this, I think for the first time, which probably wasn't on release, it was, it was more of a normal Gaga already in my mind. Yeah, I didn't, I remembered like the singles from the album being in rotation and I thought, oh, she is a bit normal, but looking back at it, I'm seeing she wasn't entirely trying to be, it just didn't stick the landing to everybody in the same way because yeah. I think people were kind of over it. Yeah. And she didn't learn that lesson immediately, but she did eventually like, OK, maybe I need to just like do it a bit, do something different. But that's what made her career interesting, I think. Yeah, her career is super interesting. I mean, if you look at the video that we looked at back when we were doing House of the Holy and her in a small little club with a four piece band looking as normal as a, i won't say plain jane she's a beautiful lady but you couldn't tell that was gaga if, if you just walk by her on the street to to where she came from and hit that avant-garde scene 
I think that had to be a very on-purpose choice of hers to push her into the public eye. I talk a little bit about that with a lot of the artists um, that we do. I always go back to John Mayer on this bit. It's the one that's nearest and dearest. But we look at the way Harry did it or just these transformations from, all right, you know what? I did it the way I thought I had to do it to get into the public eye or the way that it fit and what just, you know, the way that the universe guided me. But once these artists that we're still talking about, once they got to this comfortable status of them inside of the music making machine, we see them open up into another person, another artist or a truer artist is was where I was going there, you know? I get what you're saying, but I do think it's important to note about Lady Gaga, even though she made some detours and doing different things like a jazz album with Tony Bennett or two. Heard. Um, the avant-garde hasn't left its return because she definitely went back to that imagery with the Chromatica album and its tour and videos for sure. That's true. That's true. So it hasn't it hasn't left like she has brought it back but I think it's one of those things. I think that she's shown I can do both. That's that's a great way to put it. I didn't even think about it like that. And but yeah, that is true. We even see some hints of that on this album, fun enough. But yeah, this was actually the era. A few of the singles off the album, I was not averse to their charms. I had them at, you know, this is a good song. I'll give her that. She was cracking at me, not going to lie. And it wasn't even before that the songs before were bad. It was just I didn't like all the outrageousness of it all I'm like we don't need all this stuff here and that's what really drove me nuts about it and trying to pass it off as edgy and original when it wasn't always also really bothered me yeah i'm right i'm right with you on that and um i think we're not the only ones who've had this kind of feeling about lady gaga i think a lot of people have had a complicated relationship with her art and music and just how she does things, but it makes her always interesting to talk about. That is truth. That's why she's one of my favorite people to talk about, because like, whether I agree with her artistic decisions or not, it's discussion worthy. Yep, you can't take interesting away from Lady Gaga. <laughs> no, you cannot. And uh, what's interesting, though, is as even though this album wasn't quite as all consuming as uh, the fame and the fame monster in terms of popularity, this is a cult album in a lot of ways. There is a huge cult surrounding this album. It really seems to have over time, there have been just, it spoke to people who felt they didn't have that voice, it seems, and they really gravitated to this. And this seems to be the one a lot of people go to and say, this is her best album, her magnum opus. So like, even though the fame was the biggest, this is the best to a lot of people. It's not that that's surprising because I can feel it and I can see it throughout this album, but the, a lot of the criticism that this album got straight off the gate did not follow that. You know, there were, there were a lot of music critics out there that were saying, eh, it sort of feels rushed. It sort of feels yeah. like she wanted to please everybody. Um, I'm paraphrasing quotes that, that, ring true in my head but there was definitely a side out there where the the voices behind music criticism were like eh, i've seen her do better and this was third album in you know yeah and even people talking were like i'll like her as much as i did when she first started i remember a lot of that kind of talk too it was like i loved poker face but i'm not here for this and 
that talk would continue at times um, throughout the years, of course. But like now it seems to have been more of a consensus. Like I remember this album Turning 10, there were all kinds of internet retrospectives about its impact. And it was named by Rolling Stone as one of their 500 greatest albums in their updated list, the only Gaga album on there. So its reputation seems to have changed a bit over time. It seems like people warmed up to it over time, maybe, who didn't get it at first. And I also think this is one of those albums that, while it's flawed, you have to admire its bombast. Her, right on with what you're saying here, I, her as an artist, I love that she kept it in her pocket until 2021 that her major inspiration on this was Carl Bean, who was a gay black religious activist who had done an album called or a song, I Was Born This Way. Um, and I feel like if she would have said that early on, it would have added almost like an insincere vibe to it, almost like she was pushing what was on here. Because in my opinion, that the gay religious activist inspiration sang through without telling people this and i always thought it was cool yeah i always thought it was cool that she kept that in her pocket till two years ago 2021 when when she finally said that and that was smart of her i would have to agree because it was kind of like it was like it it wasn't a subtle message let's just say that Um, true true but uh we're gonna get more into that when we get to that song because as i said that's it's whole other thing um yeah but anyway um yeah with that being said i'm kind of ready to just get into this because i think there's just a lot to say about it yeah it's been very successful it's sold over five million copies worldwide physically and plenty of streams and individual track downloads as well so she got nominated for album of the year off this right she did yes and uh Adele won. Nobody stood a chance against Adele. (laughs) That that was my question. I didn't look it up. Uh, So Adele beat her out. And I can't fault that. Even if my tune now has changed on Gaga, I can't fault that because 21's incredible. I think Adele is incredible. But we're not here to talk about her today. (laughs) I'm sure we will at some point in the future, but not today. Um, Today it's going to be gaga and uh born this way a beloved album in its own right even if it wasn't as huge as 21 so that being said let's let's get it started here let's get it hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline so the album begins with um a song called Mary the Night. And uh, Gaga was actually inspired by herself on this song. She wanted to outdo her song Dance in the Dark from the Fame Monster. And uh, she described this song as Whitney Houston having a baby with Bruce Springsteen, which <laughs> interesting comparison ter- there. But um, it actually makes plenty of sense, I think, um, in a weird way. I think it makes sense. But 
uh, lyrically, really, this song is all about how she loves New York and she lived there and she really sees herself as that city girl, that New York Italian girl, like, and that really comes through in this song, I would say. And um, she further reflected it in the video for this song, actually, which was like a going back to her days as a starving artist. I thought it was a stupid video that was almost 15 minutes long. There was no need for that, of course. And that was, again, a thing that a lot of people weren't latching on to it. So this song was actually, it was supposed to be the first single at first, but then they decided, no, it'll be the third single. But that changed. It ended up being the fifth and final single. And, um... It wasn't the biggest hit. It made it the 29 on the Hot 100. I remember it getting some radio play and I remember enjoying it, but I think it's a great opening track. It's just a great burst of energy and I've always enjoyed it a lot. I wish it was a bigger hit, frankly. Yeah, it's surprising that it wasn't. Uh, like you said, great opener. I mean, it's upbeat and it's neat to hear you say or, or just here in general that she was inspired by herself because immediately as a listener we're exploring a lot of gaga sounds that we've heard or we will hear but it's very gaga like undeniably doing her thing her unique sound on this i i love the pipe organ incorporated oh, yeah. with the synth pop it's so cool and that break at 340 is a neat break because we get that electro square wave sound and it builds into the outro. The composition of this song is solid. And again, I'll, I'll repeat myself and you, a great opener. This is how you open an album. Oh yeah, for sure. And I do like that she mentioned the Whitney Houston was list as one of the main influences of the whole album. And I think that's actually pretty important because this is an example where we really hear her singing, like showing off her vocal pipes. And I think that was important for her to do here because you wouldn't have necessarily gotten that she has this big old voice on her from her radio singles previously certainly her. like i didn't think she was this remarkable vocalist with all this auto tune on poker face but here she's showing oh no i can sing my face off <laughs> yeah if it, i want it was, to it was very important to me to take that away from her in a sense, while I was listening, because I wanted to listen to this album. You know, like I always say, I try to put myself in the shoes of a first time listener, at least a couple of times throughout critically listening to this album. And we didn't know that up until this point. You're totally right. We didn't know that she had chops. Um, and it's very some early Gaga, in my opinion, it's very easy to be hard on critically as a music listener because you know now what we know what she has behind her there's there it's very easy at least for me to be like eh, come on I, you got better than this but at this point in time we didn't know that yeah and she's really in her own way she's showing it off here while still making a dance pop album the whitney stuff didn't she call out whitney houston at a grammys once like i wrote this song because I didn't, or I, when I wrote this song, I didn't believe that I was big enough of a star. So I always imagined you singing it. I, I, I could have swore that happened back in the day. I don't remember that at all. Uh, if it did happen, I don't recall it. I should have these notes ready. No, <laughs> that was yeah. just a thought that we, we were, as we were going, I, that 
came up in my head, but yeah, I can't remember what song it was. But at one point in the Grammys, I believe she came out and said that. Could be wrong. Let us know in the comments. Let yeah, us let know, us if, know if this happened, please. Yes. Um, yeah, but I think the vocal is also, I think it was made clear. So for the 10th anniversary of the album, a few of the songs were covered. And Mary the Night was done by Kylie Minogue, who I think is a great pop star. But she doesn't have Gaga's voice. And that's when you realize, okay, it was important that Lady Gaga could sing even on the dance song. Yeah. When I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, this isn't great. Not the best for Miss Kylie, but <laughs> she she's done better. But um, I will say the details aren't too fuzzy for the next song, I don't think. At least not for me, because this was a big deal when it happened, our... Track number two, uh, the lead single and title track, Born This Way, which was, as I said earlier, teased at the 2010 VMAs. And it was released in February of 2011, a few months later. And yet, unsurprisingly, it debuted at number one on the Hot 100. And um, it was actually the 1,000th song to debut at number one on the Hot 100. Yeah, one, It was the 1,000th song. That's so insane. Yes, and uh, yeah, it just, it got a big, big push. You heard that this was happening. I remember Glee did a whole episode yeah. called Born This Way that was longer than usual. I did used to be a Gleek back in the day. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could watch it now, knowing some of the stuff that I know now about what happened with some of the people, but at the time I was a Gleek. This was un inescapable, though. You're right. It was everywhere. Yeah, and I remember at the time um, it broke the record for most downloads sold for a debut week by a woman. And I was a little sad because it broke um, a record previously held not long earlier by Britney Spears and hold it against me. So I didn't love that, but um, oh, well, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Even though that's still a great song, well, I think hold it against me. But um, yeah, when I first heard the song, I thought it was um, more than anything. I thought it was kind of plodding. I felt like, okay, what, it, what, what is all this? Um, and uh, it's not subtle at all. And uh, one thing that I remembered was at this point in time in pop music, actually, the, the empowerment anthem was a trope. There were a lot of people doing songs like this. The biggest example um, was Katy Perry's Firework. And it was this kind of song to say, like, you're special, even though you're an outcast. And you are you, be you, do whatever. But um, that Firework and some of these other songs, they're a bit more general in their um, lyrics. They're not specifically made for a particular audience. This one is. It's very clearly a gay pride anthem. I have mixed feelings about that because on one hand, I don't think music should be exclusively made for one group of people. And I felt like this definitely was. But on the other hand, that was what she was going for. And it served its purpose for a lot of people. So, See, that was my question to you. Was it really a queer anthem? Be you know, like, uh, did she intend on... I, it's a tough one for me it's a tough one for me because it's caught and this is what we were talking about before it's caught on so much as a cult album period and it makes people feel you can see the correlation yes but i wonder if it was written for that purpose and that purpose only not in a negative way i just i'm very curious about it i absolutely think it was because i mean that was a huge segment of her 
fan base, and this was a big thing that she was building her platform on, was I love the gays, I support gay rights, I support LGBT rights. And she's naming these, she's saying lesbian, transgender lives in the song. And okay, here's what I will say that's crazy about that, though. In a way, even though she had this large gay fan base, you're the biggest pop star in the world and you're going to put that in your lead single that in a way that's actually pretty gutsy. And I have to admire that. Yes. Because undoubtedly that was going to piss off some people, but admittedly, if she did it now, it would probably get more flack because we were in the Obama era and um, things have changed since then. When it comes to this, I actually, because I think people are a lot more, divisive and outspoken about not liking this kind of stuff now or more so in my opinion more so the paradigm of thought i would like to hope has changed to a much more open and accepting mindset than even back in 2011 i could see where this has power and and if that was the intention you're very correct on the point of the gutsiness of it what a gutsy move i just you know and, and this is just me i i don't like to pigeonhole any music we talk about this a lot but it's like i don't want any song to just be that you know because in my opinion art shouldn't be that art should be for anyone who is listening looking however you're getting this art it should be for you and you should be able to make connections on your own which i'm not saying you can't i just i i just always wonder what's behind it you know I mean, that was my issue with this at the time because i'm like i think that's what she's doing here but over time um my view has changed a bit but before i get into how it's changed a bit there is another thing that well actually no i'll say now how my views change um for me when this song really actually kind of took on another quality was when she did it at the super bowl because that, that was a show baby it was. And she was doing it in front of the biggest audience possible. She did this song. And a lot was made of the fact that she did this right in front of the vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. Was it really? See, yes. this this stuff is lost on me. But I, again, I hope it's just because of the openness I try to go through with my mind. I, that, that never even, the thought never crossed my mind. Well, it was an important at the time, a statement to make because this was a new administration, and um, Mike Pence was is known for not having the most LGBTQ friendly policies. Let's just put it nicely that way. Okay. Um, okay. He's not popular amongst the community, uh, and including myself, I'm not a fan of those policies either. I think they're really harmful. But for her to do that was her making a statement. I think she knew very well what she was doing to make that statement. And I, I've seen her live twice, and especially when I saw the Chromatica Ball tour, when she did this, it was just so darn powerful to hear this in the stadium. Yeah. And to start off doing it as a piano ballad and then to go into the full dance song, it was a truly incredible and moving moment. It had to have been. Would you say that she has filled the shoes or taken the baton slash torch from Madonna in having that voice moving forward? I'm asking the hard questions tonight, Charlie. Um. Okay. <laughs> Here's what I will say. I don't agree with us 
saying that anybody's the next so-and-so or mm -hmm. I, I don't it really bothered me when people said she's the next Madonna there's one Madonna I think we need to move away from saying like we can say this person's influenced by them that's fine but I don't think we should say anybody's the next anyone I'm more asking with her ability or her trying to but now we'll say trying to when this album was released putting ourselves in their shoes but with her ability, the way Madonna was able to move, I'll, I'll use the paradigm of thought quote again, move this paradigm of thought of the populace through pop music. Do you think, do you think she's taken the torch in that way? I think I would say that I think that she is of any pop star this century. Heard. I think that she has a uh, I don't know how many minds she's changed about it. I, I would hope she has. I certainly, but I don't think that anybody has spoken to the LGBTQ community in the same way that Lady Gaga has on a really wide scale. Sure. I don't think any other pop star this century has done that. And in that case, she is the one who's doing it. I think what makes Madonna different is that Madonna was doing some of these things in a pre-internet era yeah, and bringing this stuff to the mainstream when she was the one. And Gaga, in Gaga's day, we have a lot more influences out there, but I don't think that any other pop star has connected with this fan base in the way that Lady Gaga has heard and i i madonna springs forward for so many reasons uh, and we've talked about a few of them but for me the 240 the breakdown at two minutes and 40 seconds in this song really has a madonna inspired feeling to me um i love this song by the way i i haven't talked about my my musical feelings for this song i i think it's very i use the word genius in its composition because it's a song about being your natural self and it starts off with this intro that's really wide open. And again, I love her voice in this one as well. I mean, we get we get Gaga pipes here. Um, but we get to the end of the song and she finishes it off with this acapella outro with just claps. And I, for me, that that's so perfect or such a perfect fit for a song about oneself, you know, because it's just that natural sound. Um, I really do enjoy this one. Okay, but um, you say the Madonna breakdown. Um, yeah. Uh, are you not aware of the controversy? No, I'm not. Oh. Is there is there hot tea that I just spilled by accident? Uh, this had to be mentioned. It's um very immediately when this song was released, I actually didn't immediately pick up on it, I think because of all the extra effects in the background, but a lot of people said this song sounds exactly the same as Madonna's Express Yourself. I mean, that breakdown is at the very least inspired. I didn't know this was a real thing, by the way. Oh, <laughs> this is true. A, this was a big debate, and a lot of people gave her flack for it. They said, Gaga, you ripped Madonna off. You ripped Express Yourself off. And she said, like, I wasn't trying to pull one over on anybody. Like, and admittedly, she probably didn't. I think that melodies get lo lodged in our heads, and we unconsciously copy. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's a copy. Uh, it's definitely inspired, but she came and said that Madonna was one of the inspirations on this album, didn't she? Springsteen, well, well, Houston, Madonna. 
Well, yes, but uh, here's the difference. So Madonna was always an inspiration. She said Madonna was the main one of her main inspirations when she started. Heard. So um, Madonna was actually asked about how she felt about Born This Way in an interview in 2012. And uh, she said when she heard the song on the radio, it sounded familiar. <laughs> and then she told Cynthia McFadden that she felt it was a little reductive. Wow. So crazy. I didn't put the two and two together until you said express yourself out loud. But like singing it in my head while listening to you talk about it, I could see where people were going with some similarities especially in the uh in, in a bunch of different places actually if you think about it now was there ever a legal controversy on on this as far as no nobody sued but yeah it did sort of a bit of a madonna gaga feud when madonna went on her tour that year she did express herself and sang the chorus of born this way during it to show that she felt they were the same song Woo, man. Oh, wow. Look at me spilling tea without even knowing that, that. No, no shit. And then Madonna ended it by singing, She's Not Me. Get out of town. Which is another song of hers. And it was like the shade of Madonna Frew doing that. Okay. Okay. Wow. But, um, I think Madonna and Gaga are friends again now. So, so. That's so wild. All, everything that I've said about this song or the questions that I've asked you, I had no prerequisite with this feud. I literally did not know that oh, that was part was of it. This was news. So. This was news for a while. <laughs> Heard that. Okay. I'm well, surprised you, you didn't know. I was like, that's the elephant we had to discuss. No. And the best part is that that was just true questions coming right from the top of the head. But there, you know, <laughs> it hit it right on the mark. I feel like that was the biggest controversy of this album. Oof. Actually, no, really, this was what I, I heard about this way more than any of the videos. Well, some of my notes ring true throughout this album, but <laughs> I, I literally didn't know. that. It, yeah. I'm learning as we go, as, as we always do. Yeah, but um, before we move on, this is the song that ties it into our doll month because there was a Monster High doll made of Lady Gaga's zombie look in the music video for this. Heard that. And it was kind of an avant-garde video, but what I actually remember most people talking about was how she looked anorexic in it. And she did look really fit, actually. And uh, she's <laughs> talked about having an eating disorder at a time in her life since. So I'm like, oh, we might have been on to something. That's really sad. <laughs> that does suck. Um, Yeah, yeah, it does. But uh, I, I don't think she's suffering with that now. I certainly hope not, because, yeah, that's, it's just very sad uh, to have an eating disorder. I'm glad I've never had one, because, oh. I heard that. But um, enough about eating disorders. We're going to move on to a happier topic, government hookers. <laughs> With our next song, um, I actually remember when I, um, I, I looked at the track listing for this album well before I listened to it, and I saw these song titles, and I thought, well, this further confirms why she's terrible. Who the fuck writes a song called Government Hooker or highway unicorn like these are stupid songs like how can that be good but um funny story i think it is good actually government hooker and she recorded this song at the palms in las vegas which i think is just perfect actually i don't know why but i do 
And um, it's based on an unused demo that DJ White Shadow produced with DJ Snake. DJ White Shadow produced a lot of this album, actually. And um, it, it takes on a theme of sexual empowerment and references the affair of John F. Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Because why not? Um, yeah, this one's different. It has an opera intro. And um, it definitely has that industrial club feel to it. That's the overall sound of this one. But um, yeah, I enjoyed this one. It was never a single, but it is a fan favorite. She actually included it on the set list of her Vegas residency. This is a banger as yes. far as like, here, here's my notes straight off the cut on this one. Industrial question mark exclamation point. Because I was like, wait a minute, Gaga's doing some like industrial stuff and she touches on this throughout the album in hindsight but then i wrote dark club banger <laughs> and it, it, that's what it screams it has for me this sort of dominatrix slash i've already said the industrial feel here and i think that it's very gaga of her to put it any which way because it is complimenting and also contrasting this theme of this female sexuality empowerment throughout this song. Even why she talks about the Marilyn Monroe JFK thing, uh, because she uses it as an example of that empowerment inside. Uh, so I thought it was a wild a Gaga-esque take or choice to use this industrial dominatrix type of feel for it. Yeah, this song is also, this is like pure camp theater that you're listening to here. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. just the lyrics too. I mean, my favorite is, I can be mom if you want to be dad. Yeah, she she has some wild wild lyrics throughout this. Oh, oh, yes, she does. Yes, she does. Um, In the past, I would have held it against her, but now I think it's just a fun time. And yeah. government hooker is a fun time, I think too. I, I'm paraphrasing, but inside of her talking about this album, she had said something akin to, I didn't want to hide the message behind lyrics that everybody had to pick through and try to figure out what it was. I was I was telling you straight up in a lot of these songs how I felt. And this one has a lot of that in it. <laughs> there's not much, I mean, there's symbolism, but not much like hidden symbolism inside of, of Government Hooker. No, and I also, it, she's just, she's playing this character in it, yeah. I think. Yeah. This Lady Gaga character. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And um, the characterizations continue with our next song when we go to the Bible uh, for Judas. Um, this is a tune of, of a betrayal, I would say. It was produced by Red One, who produced most of the hits off of um, the fame and the fame monster. So it made sense that we'd call him back for the follow-up. <laughs> and he knows how to make bangers. And this is another one. Um, it was inspired by the tale of Judas Iscariot and falling in love with the wrong man repeatedly. Um, this was actually the album's second single and it made it to number 10 on the Hot 100, which does make it a hit, but at the time it was her least successful single. Uh, that wouldn't remain the case, but at the time it was. And um, of course, it opened itself up to some religious controversy. I remember my mom telling me, yeah, the Catholic Church is really upset about this Lady Gaga song, Judas. And uh, yeah, the Catholic League condemned the video before its release, but 
They then said there was nothing blasphemous about it. I'm glad they came to that <laughs> I realization. Mean... I really am. Because if you know the tale of Judas Iscariot and are versed in, in that story period, you might think there's some blasphemy inside. There could be the propensity for some blasphemy inside of the song, but I don't find it. I find that using Judas as an example for the demons in your life and how you're trying to choose the right path and you keep getting drawn back to the Judas, again, as an example of, of those dark times, per se, I think that's pretty genius. I, I like that part of this song. I like, I like the, the example, Judas as an example, and I'm glad that the Catholic League pulled back on the blasphemous sense because I don't I don't feel like it's there. I feel like it would have been a wasted move on their point to be like, no, 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 no just because it's named Judas. Yes, uh, I would agree. And yeah, when I first heard this, I thought it was like, I just thought it was annoyed. Like, what's this Judah, Judah, ah, ah. I was like, oh, that's just annoying to me. But yeah, now I think it's a banger. It, the beat goes hard. I mean, Red One is a great producer. He knows how to make a song slap, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Like, you can tell this was meant to be a club banger, and he succeeds at doing that. Um, in, I think, almost all of his productions that I can think of, he knows how to do that, and he did it here. He did it here. Yeah, and this composition at 243, that breakdown is sick. Yeah. I love the spoken rant. It's, it's really cool. I'm going to go... Maybe this is T. Maybe uh, I might get some heat for this. My original notes for this, my first two notes were poker face question mark, bad romance question mark, because this really more so to poker face, this sings. And maybe it is the play on the Judah, uh, uh, but it, it, I can't bring the subconscious listener in me out of that. It always ends up like I start to do poker face while I'm listening to it, you know? I mean, um, as it, it it's the be, same producer. I wouldn't, it, it, that's what it is. It's the same producer. Yeah. And uh, when you're doing this kind of thing and you've had that kind of success, you're going to try repeating it. I mean, bad romance is a response to poker face, you could say. It's like, we're going to try doing it again. This didn't catch on as much and it didn't really shock anybody. And one thing I will say, like even, the video's kind of like this motorcycle biblical kind of thing. Honestly, the most alarming thing about it is actually how thin she looks in the video. Heard, heard. And um, yeah, there were, at this point in time, she tried to do some of this like Catholic imagery at times. Like, and I think it really fell flat for her. Like, I just don't, th I think that it was like, Madonna did it. And obviously that was the influence. I don't, Let's not kid ourselves. Like, what else would it have been? But it's like, she did it, and people remembered it. They're not going to forget the video for, like, a prayer. Yeah. Or, and it's like, I, I just think that was one thing she tried to shock people with that just didn't catch on. Yeah. And I'm glad it didn't, because it just didn't work. It did feel kind of empty. It's like, uh, yeah, this is just, you're just doing this just to do it there's no statement behind it. Like, I think Madonna, Madonna did it to shock people too, but I think people could at least see her statement behind the video in Like a Prayer too. Yeah, I, this is the flip side to the coin of, I think it was a smart move not to say it, but 
if she would have cited Carl Bean and his activist work as an inspiration before it might have this might have stuck the landing as you said before because a lot of this doesn't stick the landing the way i think she intends it um it you're right though it, it ends up not being as memorable as any of that stuff and i think for me that mixed with the and again it might just be but the subconscious listener aspect of it not pulling itself away enough from poker face as far as the composition i i feel like that's those are two reasons or maybe the main reasons why it didn't have so much popularity and success yeah i think to a lot of people might have sounded like she was treading water a bit yeah but i still think it's a perfectly fun song on its own and uh, i mean there are worse things you could do than have a make a song that sounds like Poker Face again. There's worse things you could do. I wouldn't say this is the best we've got on the album. It's not even the best red one on the album, but I, I think it does what it needs to do. I think they knew what they were doing and they succeeded at making that kind of song here. They did. Yeah, they did. They did. But um, we are going to do something that didn't sound like what we did before with our next song. Um which is Americano. This was inspired by a couple of laws, one being Proposition 8 and the other, I'm not remembering it, but it was a really harsh immigration law that, that happened in Arizona that Gaga really didn't like. And so she kind of wrote this song based on those struggles of these marginalized groups. And um, she doesn't hide that it's about Mexican immigrants because we hear this mariachi sound in the song. And I think that was cool that combine mariachi with a techno dance kind of beat um gaga actually the her main influence she said for this was actually edith Piaf, which was not something everybody would have predicted but she's got a lot of that cabaret in her which yeah. i think is part of what makes her such a versatile um entertainer this is one of those songs where there are a lot of elements of it that i like it just doesn't add up all the way for me this is that one for me like and uh that that's really where i am with it i like her concept i like her message i think sometimes when she gets out of that we talked about this even with joanne when she did angel down i think when she gets out of that straight empowerment vibe it's very well-meaning of course but i don't think it all that kind of social commentary is what she's best at heard yeah i can agree with you there i didn't realize that there was too much social commentary in this but this song is undeniable on its way to draw me in with the mariachi guitar hidden in the back with the subtle horns, the driving bass drum. It adds to the title, of, to the feel of the Americano meaning of the song. But there was a contrast in here that threw me for a loop because she sings Spanish. We do the mariachi. We do all that stuff. But and I, this isn't documented anywhere. And i'm i'm telling you i'm on to something here <laughs> okay. as a young italian new yorker lady gaga had to be familiar with a song that was written by bob merrill back in the 50s for rosemary clooney but found its biggest popularity with the one and only dean martin and it's called mambo italiano okay the starting to this song is straight cut out of mambo italiano in mambo italiano it goes 
a boy went back to Napoli because he missed the scenery, the native dances and the charming songs. But wait a minute, something's wrong. She cut it straight out of there. And a subconscious listener for me, it immediately drew me into this song. One, it was a different take than we've heard so far on this album, but it opened with Mambo Italiano. So I was like, let me listen to this. That contrast threw me a little bit when she got into the uh, Spanish imagery and, and mariachi driven beat, which I don't hate. I love. In fact, I love this song. Uh, I really, really love this song. Oh. But I just thought that was something I, I wanted to, to put out there. Uh, it's nowhere. She doesn't cite it. It's <laughs> I can't find anybody writing about it. But mark my words, if you're not familiar with the song Mambo Italiano, hey, Mambo. Anyway, uh, that is straight out of there. And she knew it. She's a young Italian. She knew that song. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sure she did. Just a little tidbit there. Yeah, I, I'm sure she did know the song. I think you are on the something there. But um, yeah, there's Americano for us. And uh, But we, we are going to move from the 50s musically into the 80s with our next song, another Red One production, Hair. Um, so this is another empowerment anthem. There's a lot of those on this album, if you can already tell. But this one is about using your hair as a form of self-expression. And... Uh, this song features none other than Clarence Clemens of the East Street Band playing the sax on it. And um, Lady Gaga said that she was also influenced by Kiss and Iron Maiden, which I do not hear at all in this song. But she won't admit Mambo Italiano, but she'll say that. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm not that familiar with Iron Maiden, but I, I get the gist that this definitely doesn't if this sounds like Kiss, it sounds like what? I was made for loving you, baby. Like she, she cited so many times saying that about this song, but I struggled. <laughs> I, I can't find any any ties here musically. I, it just it doesn't make sense for her to say that for me. Yeah, because this is a straight up like dance pop song. But it's a good one, I think. Um, I really enjoy this song a lot. I just really like its energy a lot. I love the sax, of course. And um, yeah, I've just always really enjoyed this song's energy. And I just, it, it has that kind of autobiographical thing about, it's like this, I'm staying against my parents and I just want to be accepted. Like I love that, I just want to be free. I just want to be me. I want lots of friends that invite me to their parties. Like, but I'm as free as my hair. And uh, I've always really enjoyed this one. And it was a promo single before the album was released. And it made it to 12 on the Hot 100 because enough people bought it. Um, Yeah, I think this is one, though, it's been forgotten the time. And uh, I have not heard it either time I've seen her live. It, I, it doesn't look like she's done it since the tour for this album. Um, Gaga, please put hair in your set list if I'm at the show. Please, I would love to hear it. There you go. This is this will be the first one on this album that we're on opposite sides. I don't hate this song, but for me, this song it started to repeat sounds and vibes that we had heard already on this album, and not as well as the other examples. Uh, I, you know, I'm a sax man. I've said it before, and I'm with you. But if you're gonna put Clarence Clemens from the E Street Band on this bad boy. Why would you hide him so far in the background? It's just he's it, not he, headed. I he doesn't sing for me the way that Clarence sings 
uh, in his I natural hear him way. Loud and clear. Oh my! What? I, I for this for me this one it just doesn't explore any sounds that we haven't heard yet. And the self now the self narrative inside I I love I love the story through here. But as far as musically, this one just started to hit a repetitiveness inside the album for me. I I see what you're saying. The song is over five minutes long, so probably could have benefited from like a radio edit honestly um but i still enjoy it a lot i i and i want to hear if i see her again which um i'm guessing you don't need to hear this in your gaga set list but i don't i don't need to hear this but thank god clarence came back out on this album later and killed it because i I was disappointed by his by the way they used him on this one gaga come on ah gosh darn it gaga (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I guess to you, you could say that's some shice, that's which is our shiza. next song. <laughs> yep. That's some serious shites right there. Yes, and um, that's our next song, and it, it is German for shit. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, by the way, she's not speaking real German here, actually. I don't not, believe. It's not. It's faux German, but I love that. Oh, yeah. It's still... Um, a lot of fun and this this is an empowerment anthem for the ladies and um this is very like this very much gives me that 90s dance club feel and this is a song it's for a big space like this is to fill the dance floor it's meant to go off live it's really it's a fun song i feel like it's kind of because it's so meant for that big space it feels a bit oddly placed on the album i think but i remember she actually did this when i saw her at the joanne tour because it's a fan favorite and i mean it does it fills that an arena it's that kind of song and um it's a pretty known performance from the Born This Way tour, actually, because she really went hard in her choreography for this one, which, why wouldn't you? Like, this is definitely one of those songs that makes you want to get up on the floor and fist pump and just have a great time. But in the middle, I feel like it's more fitting for a DJ mix than an album, but I still love it. Yeah, it's placement. It's in my it's in my highly coveted seven spot, but it's placement lacks a little bit it could be at a different place in this album and i think you hit the nail right on the head it would have filled the space more um that dancing and and that inspiration comes from the inspiration from this song or so i would hope because they were recording this or pieces of it on the tour bus the day after partying in germany at the club and you can really feel that in this song it's a very cool song uh you know it from the title, I thought it was going to be a throwaway song just for some odd reason. And I really love this. It's it's not only a very strong female song, I really love the beat. But I think my favorite thing in this song is the repeated use of the word I at the start of each stanza. And that I is echoed throughout the song in, in the music. I thought that was a really cool thought inside of the composition. Even though it wasn't placed where I think it should be inside this album, this is one of the tracks I really enjoyed. Yep, I completely agree. And so do many others, um, yeah. as they should, because it's an awesome song. And um, now we are on to the album's current hit. Who knew it would have a current hit in 2023? But it does. The song's getting played on the radio 
Bloody Mary. Um, so this song is, uh, Bloody Mary is actually typically Mary Tudor. It is not in this song. It's, um, we're going back to church. It's Mary Magdalene. Um, her explanation of this song is, quote, the lyrics are Mary sort of talking. If you listen to the lyrics and the way the cadence goes, the way I'm actually singing, I start quite sweetly, then I go into these quite demonic tones, then I come back to sweetness, and then the chorus is me ultimately publicly singing, I won't cry for you, I won't crucify the things you do, I won't cry for you when you're gone, I'll still be Bloody Mary, I'll still bleed is what I'm trying to say. I guess I'm fascinated by her. In my belief, Mary was in it all along. I think she knew what was going to happen, but I also believe that she loved him. And I believe there was a moment when she cried. So she says, I won't cry for you, but in the rest of the song, in the way that it feels, it's sad and it sounds like a death dirge. There's that kind of quality to it. It's about me having to be a superstar. End quote. I feel like all that comes across. I, th I think she did a really good job. This is one of the one that caught a lot of flack uh, as far as varied religious groups throughout the world being up in arms about this album because of the depiction of Mary Magdalene here. I have to disagree. I think especially after hearing that quote that she hit the nail right on the head for what she wanted to do. Um, so here is my, uh, th this is the hot tea take of the album for me. Um, th this is a beloved song by many. I've heard people call this her best song of all. Before Wednesday. Yes. I, I'll, uh, here's, a, here's a hot tea to add. I'd never, I don't remember this song before Wednesday. I didn't even know it was Gaga. Yeah, before Wednesday. Uh, she did this at the Joanne tour when I saw her. And it was a cool performance. She was dressed all in red for it. It was a cool performance. Um, I think this is her most overrated song by a mile, honestly. And my issue with it is it's a cool concept. I don't find it offensive. And I also think that like these biblical stories, we are, they are literature. I think we need to remember that as well. And um, we we can interpret them in different ways if we want to. I don't think that's sacrilegious. My issue is I just don't think this song goes anywhere musically. It kind of stays in the same place for me the whole time. I don't think it's a coincidence. Well, that's the wrong word I would say, but I'll say I think there's a reason that the version of this song that went viral was sped up for a reason. Oh, yeah. Because this just is kind of there. What I will say is that it is cool hearing it on the radio, I think. I've heard this on the radio. I'm like, it's kind of cool to hear this song. It does sound unique in that regard, but I just think it's kind of anemic musically, which is a shame for a song called Bloody Mary. <laughs> I agree with you there. And I, it was a question I was going to ask you because I couldn't find the answer. It definitely was sped up when they used it. Now, Am I correct? They released this as a single this year? Yes, they did. When they released it as a single, did they release the sped up version or the original version? Original. Okay. So I'm with you. Hearing her say the death dirge, it makes sense, but this song doesn't move. It's a stagnant song that musically just doesn't really lend itself to anything. You know, it's, it's, I won't say filler because it's not, a bad song but it just it just stays still um i can see as the death dirge where her inspiration was 
I love the Gregorian choir at the end. I think that's a cool addition. It, it added some for me, for for me as a subconscious listener on that one. It added some uh, some church feel to it. But yeah, as as far as this version, it just falls flat. I will say that whoever chose to use that for Wednesday, it was a pretty genius move. Oh, because, I mean, it starts off with this tango sort of beat. And for me, that lends itself to the old Gomez and Morticia always doing the tango. Um, and it has that dark vibe to it. It needed to be sped up. And and it's a cool move there for the Wednesday thing. I just wanted to say that. But yeah, as as on this album, definitely not my favorite. It, it falls flat in so many different ways. I Yeah, I completely agree. But there's no taking it away now because it, it I'm sure we'll be hearing it again once they put out the second season of Wednesday. My three-year-old sings this song. <laughs> not not word by word, but she knows the, you know, the the melody of it. The down, down, bow, bum, 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 bum. I've caught her singing it like, but where how you know that? <laughs> that damn TikTok. That TikTok. You're gonna get them every time. But yeah, again, of all the songs off this album, you could have made go viral. I don't think it should have been this one, but I'm in the minority on that. It, I mean, it just makes sense with Wednesday. It, it but, does. Because she danced with her hands, hands, hands. So yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're going to move away from dancing with our hands, hands, hands. But uh, oh, another religious title song here. Here we go. Um This is the first of the bonus tracks on the album. Interestingly, the bonus tracks are all put into the album sequencing and not just tacked on at the end which for me doesn't make them bonus tracks i'm just gonna say it i have to say it 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 hurts me because we talk all the time about the flow of an album and the 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 feel of an album when i take these out of the album the album flow is a little bit off i think they add to the flow of the album i'm getting ahead of myself but i agree with you actually and um I, i think this is a necessary thing after bloody mary too i think we needed something like this uh, for sure because this is um so this song was inspired by gaga moving to new york when she was 19 downtown new york and um it's a 90s influenced house track and she said it was inspired by how moving to new york really opened her eyes to different ideas than like that Catholic upbringing that she had been so put into, I guess you could say. Like she went to Catholic school and all of that. Like she was really raised as this Italian Catholic girl and she was getting exposed to the world in a different way. And so she's thinking it's like, well, this kind of like this black Jesus, it's a different thing. And she was in- getting into the fashion scene a bit. And um, the whole thing, it's like on the runway. She wants this to be the kind of song you strut down a runway to. Um, but yeah, this was another one of those titles. I thought, what the fuck kind of a title is this for a song? But it's a fun tune, actually. And sometimes I forget about it, but I'm glad that I remembered it again because it's a really fun song that I enjoy listening to, actually. I um, found myself really enjoying this one again. Yeah, th- this is a great song. The composition for me on this one is a very high caliber of musicality. This one sings from the start to the end, but it really evolves inside of itself. It jumps back and forth from sound to sound. It really does well. Like I said, this being a bonus track, I couldn't imagine the album without it. 
at this point at the number nine spot after Bloody Mary. Um, it's a very strong, strong song, and it, and it works out well here. I really love this. Maybe hot tea, or maybe this is just something everybody else already felt, but I I got super strong Madonna vibes in the beginning of this song as well. Now, it evolved out of that, and I, I forget about that by the time the song ends, but it definitely started off Madonna in my head. Uh, yeah, this definitely has a Vogue kind of feel to it. That's the one, and well, it's not the first Gaga song that's reminded me of Vogue, I will say that, but Vogue isn't a bad place to take from. I mean, I can't complain too much about anything that reminds me of Vogue. Not at all. So, yeah, that's really where I am. Alrighty, now we're a bit past our midway point of the album, and uh, we are now at track number 10, which is, um, this is on the standard edition as well, Bad Kids. Um, This song is different. It kind of starts off, you think it's autobiographical, and there is an allusion to that, because in real life, her parents are divorced. But um, it was actually inspired by um, stories that fans of hers told her when she was on the Monster Ball tour, where she undoubtedly got to meet a lot of people because that was a huge tour for her. It was her first time she got to play arenas. So uh, she met a lot of different people out there. And um, this song really hits me in the feelings lyrically at times. It's like, oh, that's horrible that somebody told you that. Like as a child. um, But she's kind of saying like, I love you even if you are a bad kid. They say you're a bad kid. Um, Because you still have a good heart and um, just like you're misunderstood, which I think does happen a lot in this society. I think sometimes kids who act out get labeled bad and we don't look to see the whole story. Um, And I've been guilty of doing that before. Certainly when I was a student, I was guilty of that. But I mean, there were times I was labeled a bad kid and it was like, no, I'm not actually. I just was trying to express myself. I didn't do it the best way, but I'm not bad. I promise I'm nice. But uh, do I like the message of the song? Um, Again, musically, I think it's a bit, it has a kind of nice disco-y vibe to it that I do like. But I, again, I think it's just a bit anemic musically. Like, I don't think it goes there in the way other songs here do. Not in the least bit. For me, it seems empty compared to most of the compositions on this album. It almost feels, and I had this in my notes, it almost feels as an unfinished thought. You know, it ends abruptly, not so far as the narrative. Like you said, the narrative, I can respect and understand, and it can hit you in the feels. But as far as musically, as far as this goes, no way. Now, I'm going to jump back here because I got ahead of myself. But if you have Bloody Mary, go straight into this on the album without the track nine that's on there, you know, the bonus track. You're in a lull. You're in a doldrum in this album. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's why I I have a hard time saying that these extra tracks are bonus tracks because without them, for the most part, the album, the album hits a really sad, like sad in the sense of weakness, like a very weak spot musically. If you go track eight and 10 back to back, in my opinion. I mean, I don't think this should have been on the album to begin with. We have better songs literally sitting right there. Heard. Like, why was if this, if this, this is a bonus track if you're going to put it out. Yeah. Run Black Jesus straight into Fashion of His Love. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, I did. I didn't need this at all on the album. And um, what's interesting, though, I learned this looking into it. Um. 
It originally had a very different sound to it and even had a rap verse that was removed from it. Hmm. So that does make me wonder, like, would it have been better in that regard? Like, I don't know. But as it is here, I'm not wild for bad kids. And uh, that should have been a bonus track instead of the next song, which is a banger, Fashion of His Love. Um, This was written as a tribute to fashion designer Alexander McQueen. And the bridge was taken from an unreleased song that she wrote called Earthquake with um, her DJ from her first era, Space Cowboy, who there are actually YouTube videos about his disappearance. Oh, really? Which I got into, but I, I did watch one of them. I was like, who knew somebody would dive into this? That's interesting, but they did it. Um, but yeah, I've always thought this song was a fucking banger. This one just kind of makes you go off. It's got, like, this has a good beat. This is a club uh, song. Like, this is a good uh, dance tune. And it's not the deepest lyrically, but it's a fun, happy song. And it's definitely nice to hear that after friggin' Bad Kids and Bloody Mary, that's for sure. We need something a bit more uppity. It's just one of those, like, I saw a YouTube comment, like, I love those just really upbeat songs she does like this and Stupid Love, like, they're might not be the deepest, but they're some of her best, and I agree. I yeah, agree. this this song, musically, is all up there on top of the album uh in my opinion it has such a happy elevated vibe and it doesn't stop from start to finish without her putting mcqueen or giving a shout out to mcqueen in the lyrics i originally thought this was an electro christian love song for jesus i'm not gonna lie i i really went down taking it going through the lyrics like is this really a, I mean, it could possibly be a love song for Jesus and it, and it fit um, with the religious tones that we've had on this album uh, so far, you know, to find out what it was written for, I see, but I still think it might be a love song for Jesus. But that being said, it's phenomenal, man. Really great track. And it, it, it's a really high energy that needed to pop on this album. And it did its job a hundred percent yeah i mean the the song um one of the main inspirations for it was one of our um most uh godly voices i guess you could say the one and only whitney houston <laughs> heard heard that and i can definitely hear like the vibe of like i want to dance with somebody in this i totally can like not exactly but the general feeling of it i get i think of that song is conveyed here. I can definitely see that. I would say, not that they sound alike. She does her own thing with it, but it has that kind of joy to it that I really appreciate. So yeah, Fashion of His Love, a winner, should have been on the standard edition of the album. And um, yeah, the Amazon people who bought it for 99 cents, they didn't get these bonus tracks. Isn't that a shame? It is a shame. It is. A, yeah, it also I, leads one to wonder if that had part of the reason why it was such a drop off by week two. <laughs> you know, I mean, Some, someone should have let them know that those tracks were needed on this album. Yeah, because, yeah, maybe they turned it off after Bad Kids. They were like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. 
though, though they shouldn't have because this is on the standard edition and this song's a fucking banger too. I've said that a lot today, but it's just, just is, the, the, I'm just speaking truth here, people. It seems between me and you, when we get into something that's like truly deeply rooted in our love for music, that, that word slips out quite a few more times than normal. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, it is though. This is our 12th song. Highway Unicorn, parentheses, Road to Love. This was, again, when I first saw this track list, I thought, okay, how can a song called Highway Unicorn be good? That is one of the worst titles I've ever heard. It's gotta suck. So I didn't listen to this album until 2017. I actually bought it at a supermarket in Italy. I bought the CD of it. (laughs) All right, there you go. Um, And it was the standard edition of it with the only bonus track was a remix of the title track. But I did discover the joy that is Highway Unicorn, and I'm so glad that I did, because um, uh, this one, Gaga said it was about herself. She said it was about herself traveling on the road with nothing but a dream. So she is the Highway Unicorn, and um, the sound of it is just so powerful. Like, those drums, the synths, you just, it just pumps you up, and it starts off with a bang when she's singing we can be strong, we can be strong. You're like, I feel strong listening to this. Like, what? You're just immediately on the road to love when you hear this. And um, it just builds beautifully the whole way through. And uh, even though it's like a dance pop song, I hear that rock vocal in her, like she, especially when she says, we're gonna drink until we die. It's like, yes, we shouldn't. I'm like, I know I shouldn't do that, but I'm like, yes. Oh, this is another one I really want to hear live someday. I would love to hear this live. Um, Yeah, this is very, very high up on my favorites on this album. It's not quite number one, but it might be like number two. I love this song a lot. It's a great song. For me, this one sings a little bit more. I, I'm not going to repeat all the things you said because you've, you've surmised most of my notes on, on this song, but... For me, it hits a little bit different uh, or a little bit more because of its difference from the rest of the album, in my opinion. There's a lot that separates this. The album almost takes a turn in a different direction musically right here. And I I loved it. It, It's a a really neat track. It's a really neat take. It's a very, very cool composition. Very smart. The, The tempo is there, but the just the beat of the of the lyrics uh is is so infatuating to me it's a, it's a really well done i can see why you want to see this live though those drums the live drums and the keys on this track i would love to see this live it it, it makes sense they add that extra life to it too for me uh on this track that they elevate this track in a very big sense for me those drums yeah Definitely. And I just love to hear her sing this because she'd get into it. You know, she'd get into it. Yeah, she definitely would. But uh, interestingly, we're going to have the rock vibe in the title of the next song, but not the sound of it. Um, Heavy Metal Lover. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Which doesn't sound anything like heavy metal. This is pure, like, just kind of 90s pop, dance pop kind of thing. But, okay, it was about a, it's about a boyfriend of hers who loved heavy metal, apparently. And um, it also contains references to how famous she is and orgies. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's here. Um. Yeah, this is just another one of those songs. It's an uh, it's a strange song. It is, and um, all these things shouldn't go together, but for some reason, for me, it all works. And I just love how weird and unique this song is. I've always really enjoyed this song ever since I heard it. Actually, um, it was the final song recorded for the album, and I'm glad that they recorded it. I'm glad they included it here. I'm glad they do that would be the right thing to do because I think it's a really unique song that doesn't sound anything else like the rest of the songs here. I, I agree with you that it doesn't sound much like the rest of the songs here. I'm not big on this one. And I, I'll tell you why. It seems like it's almost too easy of a target for her, especially through this empowering and religious vibe or this this thought pattern throughout the album this sort of like blatant i won't say blatant sex song but it just the way it this is. song lays out yeah it, it it just seems like too easy of a target and that put me off on it a little bit this song i almost used the word filler for this one on this album but the breakdown at 246 with the techno voice and the muted track phasing back in it was cool it just wasn't cool enough to make me love this one this is not not one i'm not big on this one that's fair i can definitely see this song not being for everyone so and i wouldn't put it it's not like you said you didn't like highway unicorn then i would have been pissed but (laughs) (laughs) i'm not pissed but um Anyway, we're going to move on. We're again in this different musical direction here with probably now the most um, rock-influenced song on the album, Electric Chapel. Um, She wrote and recorded this while on tour, and she said that it was about feeling safe, finding love. Um, For some reason, this is a song a lot of people really like it. For some reason, it kind of... It's a grower for me. This one's a grower, not a shower. And I, in a weird way, this is where it fits on the album, musically, realistically. But I also think that it gets overshadowed by the songs surrounding it a bit, um, especially the two following it. It really does. Um, and I think this the two before it as well, especially Highway Unicorn. But I meant actually the two following it on the standard edition, to be clear. Not those two songs are like those will lodge your head into your head no matter what. And um, yeah, I think this is a really cool song, but it's just not always been one I've gone back to a lot. I did find myself enjoying it more this week, and I'm glad that I did. Like I found it stuck in my head at work today. I had and I'm I'm glad I got to come around on this one a bit. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I just, it fits musically here, but I kind of wish it were earlier in the album so it had a chance to stand out a bit more. I'm I'm totally with you there. I think this late in the album, it suffers um, from exactly what you said. But as far as the song goes, I really love this one. I love the contrast of the guitar riff to the organ in the intro. And then I love how that guitar sound 
works throughout the whole entire track. It's a very, very unique composition, and it's a powerful composition. Unfortunately, it does. It gets overshadowed and caught up in the jumble, I feel like, this late in the album. But as a standalone song, really, really well done song, musically and and just the way it's presented. It's a it's a really unique, fun song. Yes, completely agree with you. And um, now we're on to our final bonus track of the album, The Queen. This one's a bit interesting. Um, Gaga said that a lot of her fans said, you have to sing this song because you are the queen. But she said, no, it's not really about me. She says it's about the gay fans of hers because they're such a large part of her um, audience. And that is true. I will say the Chromatica Ball, I don't think I've ever been in a space with as many gays as the Chromatica Ball. Okay. Not, they weren't all there, but there were a lot of them there, for sure. You could just tell. Heard that. You, you could just tell. But hey, that's who... It's four, and that's a beautiful thing. So um, this one, I think a lot of people think this is the weakest song on the album. I, I'd probably take it over Bad Kids, but I do think it's a bit cloying musically. It's definitely the, my least favorite of the bonus tracks here. I, I would say that. I think it's like, okay, I don't love it. And it does sound kind of similar to another song later in the album that's a lot better than this one i don't think that helps it either yeah i hear you it definitely is my least favorite out of the bonus i like this one because i feel somewhat of an evolution in her sound throughout it it's a semi-powerful track for me i got share and abba vibes from it i liked that about it i didn't realize that she was referencing nor did I care, but it like it's not like it's any messages slammed down your throat through this one. This is just like a cool, fun song. It's just not the best. And like you said, it does have it does share some qualities with a song later on the album that really did it way better than than what's here. But for what it's worth, this is it's a fun one. It's a cool one. I don't hate it. I definitely would take it over Bad Kids. And these bonus tracks had places on this album where some tracks on this album didn't have places on this album, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And um, when we, we talk about dedicating it to fans, I do. Um, I'm going to put a trigger warning here. The story I'm about to tell is very, very sad, to put it lightly. But this did happen during this era. And I feel like I do have to mention it because I know about it. So um, in 2011... Um, there was a guy on YouTube, his name was Jamie Roadmeyer. He was a 14-year-old gay teen who lived in Buffalo, New York, and Lady Gaga was his favorite singer. And he posted videos trying to give encouragement to other gay teens out there. Unfortunately, in September of 2011, Jamie hanged himself due to bullying at school. Yeah, to say that's sad is putting it lightly. It's a true tragedy, especially a 14-year-old. But Gaga, I do think this was very classy of her to do. She immediately after she heard about it, she dedicated hair to him at a performance. But later on, not, not in the immediate aftermath of this, she had a couple shows on the tour for this album. She did a part of this song and said um, she was singing it for Jamie. That's cool. And um, in 2014, during the Buffalo stop of the Art Rave tour, his parents were in the audience and she did the same exact thing. And I think that was a really classy thing of her to do. 
Um, and I mean, I'm kind of shocked his parents could have gone to the concert, but they did. And that was a very, I think, honorable thing of her to do. And I do think it shows that even though she is a huge, huge star, I think she truly, genuinely cares about her fans very, very deeply. And to do something like that says a lot about her. And that was why I wanted to mention that the story itself is absolutely horrible. And you wouldn't, I, I hope it never, ever happens again, anything like that ever again. But, but yeah, super classy on her part, though. Yes. Very cool. I, I did want to point that out about the song because I think it was very nice of her to do that. But on to a happier topic, as my mother would say, not that we can get... It's hard to get sadder than that, though, but we're going to move on to something a bit more chipper. Our power ballad of the album, You and I. This one was produced by none other than Mutt Lang. We talked about him a lot on our Shania Twain Come On Over episode. If you haven't listened to that, do so, because that was another fun one we did. Um, But he also produced for rock bands like ACDC and Def Leppard. And um, that was kind of the vibe she was going for here. And this song even features a guitar solo from none other than Brian May of Queen. He even performed it with her at the VMAs, which is pretty awesome. I'm geeking out over here because shame on me, but I missed the Mutt Lang on the producer. And usually I'm all over the producers. And the first note I have on this is Shania Gaga. <laughs> I mean, that that's basically what it is. And uh, well, by this point, Mutt was divorce from Shania so he had to go somewhere I, <laughs> I mean it's it screams Shania for me I love it I love it Gaga playing the piano on this I love too it's a lot of her naturalness and you said it earlier but sometimes when she gets away and does stuff like this it seems to resonate more with me at least this is a guilty pleasure track for me I I would hope the thing is a guilty pleasure track for Gaga too um, because for me, it might not fit the vibe of this album, but I'm so happy that it's here because I, I enjoyed the heck out of this song. Uh, no, I think it definitely has a place on the album, even though it is like a pop rock ballad for sure. But it definitely has a place as the penultimate song here. I don't know where else you could have put it, but it is at a perfect place of it. But she just as much as possible is going for that raw live feel. She even actually said about her vocal on the song. She said, I had about 30 cigarettes and a couple of glasses of Jameson and just put a click track and sang my face off thinking we'd redo the vocals. <laughs> I love it. I love they it. They didn't redo the vocals, by the way. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. Cause she sticks it. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. She really does. And I'm um, interestingly, this song premiered live almost a year before the whole album did. She performed it at times on the Monster Ball tour. She performed it on TV. There was even a American Idol contestant who sang this song before it was released by Lady Gaga on this album. Wow. Which is pretty wild to think about. But yeah, I when I first heard this on the radio, I loved it. I thought... Okay, this is what I want to hear. Like, she can really sing. And again, it's that Shania Twain, Def Leppard kind of feel. I really gravitated to this song immediately. And I think quite a few other people who normally wouldn't have listened to Lady Gaga did. They, like, had to admit, like, I don't really like Gaga a whole lot, but you and I slaps. Like, they, ha they didn't say that, but that was a consensus for a lot of people. And it was a hit. It made it up to 
number six on the Hot 100, and it did get a good amount of radio play. Um, I do think over time, this song's, I think in some ways it's been a bit lost to time because Gaga's done big ballads since, like Million Reasons and Shallow, other songs off of A Star Is Born. And I think as a result of that, this one's just kind of been forgotten a bit, and um, it shouldn't be. And this is my most realistic request. Both of the times I've seen her, she didn't do this song live. I think you should change that for your next tour, Gaga. You're going to see this. I can feel it. I, this song, this song's coming out. It better. It, just put it out there in the universe. But yeah, I hope you hear this one because this deserves to be done live over and over and over again. Yeah, she's done it. Every tour that I haven't seen, basically, is the gist I've got. <laughs> heard that, heard she, that. She did it at the other tours. She did it in Vegas, but the ones I went to, nope. I, I could have used this at the Joanne tour, actually, not gonna lie. I would have gone off. Yeah, th this, is, this is a really cool song. I love it. Yeah, it is, but I will say this. I think the video's um, stupid, by the way. It's kind of like she's trying to go for avant-garde imagery in... For this song, you don't need it. No, because this, uh, I, I'll say it again. When she, For me, when she transcends the avant-gardeness of her Lady Gaga character and image is some of the times where I connect the most. So don't try to put that on top of this. This is raw. This is, this is your heart and soul, I would think, you know? She even performed it at the VMAs as one of her alter egos, Joe Calderon. <laughs> a male alter ego. Um, I'm glad it didn't last because I, uh, well, the reason I didn't care for it was because she presented the VMA Vanguard Award to Britney Spears as Joe Calderon, and she just upstaged Britney, and that wasn't right to do when it was <laughs> Britney's award to have. That's just not right. I heard that. I heard that. Oh, shame on you, Joe Calderon. <laughs> <laughs> But fortunately, Joe has nothing to do with our final song on the album, The Edge of Glory. Um, this song was inspired by her grandfather's death, which is interesting. The big, big Edge of 17 was inspired by the death of Stevie Nicks' uncle. Edge of Glory is inspired by the death of Lady Gaga's grandfather. Some, something about edges and death just go together in pop music, I guess. I heard that. um, That's a wild one to put together. Yeah, it really, I, I thought of that, though, because that's how I roll. And um, she said that it was about, like, her grandfather's final moments and her grandmother being there with him. And uh, he realized, like, I won, I got to be with you. And uh, she was also inspired by the movie Rocky, which, okay, I can hear that in the song, too. Um, but, yeah, this is the other song that Clarence Clemens is featured on, on that album, and... Uh, you don't miss him here, that is for sure. And um, it actually was pretty poignant that he was because this was one of his final recordings. He died in June of 2011, sadly. It actually, him performing this song with her on American Idol was his final performance. Wow, I did not know. I knew he passed that year, but I did not know that it was with her on American Idol as the final. Yeah, and um, that does make me a bit sad because he didn't really get to live through the success of this song because this was actually a really big hit um it was the first promo single for the album but it got so many downloads they said oh we need to make this a real single like it needs the full treatment and it got it and they did a video featuring clarence and 
her dress in like her street attire. I remember one girl back in the day said she looks really slutty in the video for this song. And that was kind of the point. I think she kind of looked like a prostitute streetwalker, but it was that 80s kind of feel. You know what I mean? I felt like it was a scene out of St. Elmo's Fire or some shit. Um, speaking of that, she cited Springsteen as an inspiration through this album, and not until here do I really get any Springsteen vibes. But this one ha- has Springsteen in it for me. Whether or not it's Clarence rocking out throughout it, it just it's, it seems to have that power, that storyteller power that Springsteen exudes. This is that jam, though. You can't get around this song. There, I could sit here and say genius this, genius that. I could say composition this, composition that. But... This is a very, very prime example of how you end an album, and it shines. Yeah, and even though I was the professed Gaga hater, I had to concede to the Edge of Glory. I said, nope, Edge of Glory is a great song, and I still think it's a great song. I always have. It's a powerful tune. That's really what it is. The lyrics are powerful. Her singing is powerful. The composition is powerful, especially that sax solo. The big man brought it for this one. And this was a huge hit. It was number three on the Hot 100. And I remember it being a hit throughout the summer. And that's why it makes me sad that Clarence didn't get to see all of its success. Heard that. Um, But realistically, it should have gone to number one. I'm going to say that now. This should have been a number one hit. Free is not good enough. You know offhand what was above it? Not at the moment. It might have been like party rock anthem or something, but (laughs) that's my first guess. But not that that's not fun, but this should have been a number one. And this is definitely held up. And I imagine it will continue to hold up. And interestingly, both times that I've seen her, she did a piano version of this song. Hmm. Just her at the piano. And at the Chromatica Ball, I just really felt especially moved when she did it because it just showcased the power of this song, even in that spare form. But she had a special message on the night I went to. It was in D.C., so she felt obliged to make a political message. And she dedicated this song to every woman who has to worry about what to do when she gets pregnant now. And uh, you could definitely, I'll say, feel her conviction when she performed the song right after saying that. And um, I think it was a really powerful moment. I will say that. Had to be. Do you think there might be a little bit of homage to Clarence by not playing it with a full band anymore without him? I don't know. I really don't know. Just a thought. I mean, you could just play that pre-recorded, put him up on the screen, I would think. True, true. Hologram. Hologramming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just play the video, play his part of it. That's what I would do. I would love to hear the full version live because yeah, if you can't tell, I would gladly see Lady Gaga again live. She's an amazing performer. And if you haven't seen her, I recommend doing so. I'm going to say that now. She knows how to put on a show. I mean, I've been to a lot of shows. I would say Chromatica Ball's in my top 10 of all of them. Heard that. Heard that. What a what a show. But um, yeah, Edge of Glory. What a what a song. A glorious song. Pun intended and not intended, because it, it's the best way to describe it. <laughs> and there we have it. Born this way. Ending out our doll month. Wow, what an album. What, what an album. What a pick. Thank you guys. That was yeah. that was super fun to go through. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, now I have to ask, what is your grade for the album? So again, taking what I know of Gaga out of my critical listen to this, from front to back, this album hit on so many different levels. Levels of energy, levels of exploration musically, levels of a look into religion. And even though it does have its missteps in Again, in my opinion, where some of the tracks might not have needed to be on this album, while other bonus tracks, I think, would have been strong choices for those spots. It really does speak to the gaga-ness of her sound, of her of her message, and it stands strong. A lot of these songs are still iconic songs for her, and it has, it has made it through the test of time. For that, I'm giving this one a B plus. I have the exact same grade. We coalesce again. How nice. Yeah. I, I do think there is some filler on the album, but for me, the highs are very, very high. And I do really love this album. I'm actually wearing my um, Lady Gaga Born This Way shirt right now that I got a couple years ago. There you go. Because they released it in honor of the album's 10th anniversary. And, um, yeah, I, I may not have been here for it when it was released, but I'm glad that I got to it eventually, and I'm glad it's a part of my life. I think this is a beautiful album, and everyone should listen to it at least once, I think. Most definitely. I thought you were going to come in a little higher, I'm not going to lie. I, I thought I was too, actually. I really did, but then I listened to some of them and was yeah. like, oh, I remember why I skipped this song before, but... Yeah. yeah, the songs I like, I love a lot. I definitely agree. What was your it, favorite track on this album? The Edge of Glory. I mean, Heard that. It, it's the Edge of Glory. That's all I can say. It's a perfect song, in my opinion. Maybe it's the subconscious listener. Maybe it's the guilty pleasure of it all. Maybe it's Dean Martin's Mambo Italiano and the start of it. But Americano <laughs> is my track off this Really? Album. I love that song, boy. I played that song more than any song in this album this week. I don't there's so many different reasons why. Um, but the musicality of that song hits me in a way I cannot describe. <laughs> oh, that one's towards on the lower end of my list, actually. So <laughs> It shows you there's something for everyone on Born This Way. That's true. That is definitely true. But that does end our journey with this album and our look at this doll month. I think this was a fun thing to do. I didn't plan on it, but thanks once again to the iconic doll cast and Sage for having me on and inspiring us to do this. It was a lot of fun and definitely something a bit outside the box for us. Most definitely. And we got to do the Beatles this month for the yes, first time. Yes, that too. That, that too. Was, that was awesome. That too. But for the next month, if you have been listening for a bit, you might know March, we did a, a month based around one album, which it, in that case was Harry's House because we got more than one request to do it. And it's a hot album right now. So we went off with it and we had a lot of fun doing it. It was a great way to think outside the box once again and um, do stuff we wouldn't have thought of doing before, I don't think necessarily. So we're going to do another month like it for this upcoming month of May. And um, that is because I'm very excited to say this on May 13th, I will be attending a performance of Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour in Philadelphia to say I'm excited is an understatement. And we both decided, well, we got to tie this in because this is 
the musical event of the year, period. It's news everywhere, this era's tour. But the question was, what album do we tie it in with? And Corey wisely suggested Folklore. And that ended up being smart because she performs quite a bit of Folklore on the era's tour. And I'm very excited to hear these songs. And it's a good album. But we won't be starting the month off with Folklore because we want to talk about it after I've been to the concert, of course, because that's just more fun that way. So we're going to kick this concept month off with an album that I feel influenced uh, Taylor Swift's Folklore. I'm produced by one of the main collaborators, Jack Antonoff. The album we will be doing is Lana Del Rey's 2019 Release Norman fucking Rockwell. And that's the full name of the album. I just want to put that out there. That is the (laughs) album's actual name. It it is an album about art and the American dream. And I am excited to get into it because it's got some wild stuff on it, but some beautiful stuff too. It definitely does. Just a payoff to our longtime listeners. This was the the secret that Charlie had to sit on for the past two months. Uh, that I alluded to just if you guys could see his face when he couldn't tell you what we were about to do but a uh, a month of searching around the different inspirations for folklore and to cap it off you get to see the good old Taylor Swift doing her thing on the Eras tour this is going to be a fun one I can't wait to go through this one Oh, most definitely. But while you're waiting for that, you have to stay up to date with us, of course. So follow us on social media at Turntables and Tea Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram, at Turntables Tea on Twitter, and also subscribe and rate us wherever you're listening to us. We are on Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can find us on any of them. So please listen and tell your friends about us. So we get more people to listen to us because that's what we would appreciate. We would love it if you get even more people because we love all of you, but we want to reach everybody and engage with all of you. Beautiful people out there. Spread the love. That That is what we will do. And uh, we'll be spreading some of that love next week with Lana Del Rey. And I'm very excited to be doing it. So in the meantime, hope may be a dangerous thing for a man or a woman like you to have. But at least you have it and you can hold on to it until next time. Peace.